welcome to the Folk Podcast. I just wanted to take a brief moment and thank everyone that listens to this every week and is so excited to see it. Um, we really can't believe how many people listen to the Folk Podcast nowadays. Um, it's really hard to obtain just because, you know, we look at a YouTube video, it gets all these views, and then the podcast, it's really hard to absorb everything. But this has become one of the most popular podcasts talking about Norse paganism in the world. And so truly, thank you all so very much from the bottom of our hearts. If you're interested in supporting the Wisdom of Odin and what we do, um, please think about supporting the Patreon page. It's just Patreon at the Wisdom of Odin. Search the Wisdom of Odin on Patreon. You'll find it right away. We have a lot of great benefits there, including our Discord community. Uh, get early access videos, some exclusive podcasts, and possibly even your name in the credits of each video. I try to stay very active on there, so if you would support us there, not only would it help the channel, help the podcast, but hopefully give you some rewards in the end as well. Without further ado, let's go ahead and get to the podcast episode. Hello, my name is Jacob, and welcome to the 24th episode of the Folk Podcast. I'm sad to say the British are coming. We have a Brit among our ranks, and he's here to talk about his journey, but also to do something slightly different. Um, we wanted to talk about the afterlife today, because the afterlife is a subject that still gets asked to me all the time, as far as the wisdom of Odin as a whole. Um, I do have an entire video on it that I highly recommend. It's got all my research, um, but it seems to be a constant topic brought up in the community, so we want to discuss that today in depth. Terry is here to join us in the conversation, but before then, I want Terry to introduce himself, tell us a little bit about his journey. So Terry, welcome. Uh, thanks for having me today. Uh, well, hi, my name's Terry. I've been a Norse pagan for about five months. Um, I recently found the path after purchasing Neil Gaiman's Norse mythology, just as a casual read. And uh, basically, by sheer coincidence, her Jacob's video popped up in a suggestion on a YouTube, and I just clicked it thinking, oh, this looks interesting, etc., and fell down the rabbit hole. <laughs> And here I am five months later, part of this great community. Yeah, so um, as far as like your journey goes, is there any particular deity or, you know, presence that you felt connected to when you first started? Not when I first started, but past two months, I felt a real big connection to uh, Loki. I've always sort of been a mischief maker at school and uh, <laughs> a little bit of a prankster and uh, like to cause the chaos sort of thing, but not to an extent, and um, an experience recently where um, I was just casually walking across a bridge and the story of, I cannot remember the name for the life of me, um, where Loki basically tries to cheer up Skadi and he ties his phallus to the goat. His, his testicles. <laughs> <laughs> and um, makes Skadi laugh and etc. and it made me chuckle. And a man in a bright green suit with fiery red curly hair, like slicked back and a little wispy beard, stopped behind me, gave me a discerning look and asked what was funny. And as I explained to him, he just went and hand on my heart, I swear to the gods, yes, that hurt a lot. Not that must have hurt. So I was just a little bit like, oh, okay. And did some research into stuff and I was like, shit. And that's essentially. That's crazy. I'm, I'm not convinced you've like, honestly, Loki is just the Riddler to me. Like that's how I picture Loki nowadays. And I feel like that's what you met is the Riddler. <laughs> <laughs> um, so our resident Loki expert, do you have any questions for him? I'm looking at you. Ian. I mean, I would not, I would not necessarily say I'm an expert, but it is, it is interesting. I know. I mean, I think we've kind of talked a little bit in the discord about him together. Um, yeah, it is. 
it is kind of funny how certain people are definitely drawn to him more so than others and uh just kind of the uh i think of like a good way of putting it but he definitely has like that misconception of where he is nothing but just you know uh the potster, you know, just constantly trying to cause chaos and et cetera, et cetera, just because it's, you know, for the giggles. But, you know, there's usually a lot of good lessons learned from what he does. You know, if you look at like a lot of the stories, you have things like Mjolnir and Sif's golden hair and, you know, these wonderful items and treasures, you know, you have Sleipnir, like, even though he causes a lot of mischief and chaos, it usually benefits, you know, the gods as a whole in the grand scheme of things. So it, it, I always enjoy listening to people's experiences that really start like working with him. I've, yeah, like I've had in my interactions with him and I know a lot about him just through my, uh, you know, connections with other people that follow him and then just my workings with Hell. But I don't know, it's always funny and interesting listening to how people come, like, come into contact with him and how similar their stories are to a certain degree, <laughs> but also like how different it is in a way. Yeah, um, I remember I actually, uh, my gift for uh, Kaoden for um, Yule was a depiction of Loki that was done in like an art Greco style. And it was so like flamboyant in a way. Like he had like this big wispy yellow cape and like the red curly hair, which is interesting. And then he just had like that, like that finger to the chin and just like the aha look. And like, she absolutely loved that. She's like, this is exactly how he looks. And then like, as soon as you said the redheaded guy in the green suit, that's exactly what I pictured. So um, that's really interesting. Um, the uh, Caleb's, do you have any questions for Terry while we have him on the show? I mean, we, you know, what do we want to know about him? Other than uh, being drawn to Loki, what other tales from like Neil Gaiman's North mythology did you like? I know how sadistic this is going to sound, but the one where Loki actually ends up getting caught in the end, <laughs> and it sort of just gave me a bit of humor. And I genuinely was sat in my bed at like I think two in the clock in the morning, just reading it, thinking, "What's going to happen next? What's going to happen?" And it's just I got a good chuckle with like the bit with Thor where he's like, "A bear can catch a fish. I can do it." That just sort of gave me a little bit of a chuckle because I can picture Thor as a big burly bloke. Just, ugh. But that's really my go-to story, to be honest, because it gives you the Loki thought you were smart enough, but he finally got his comeuppance. <laughs> I mean, honestly, like, Loki's probably, what, like, the second most mentioned deity in, like, Norse mythology? I mean, he's, like, prevalent in a lot of stories. Like, I mean, even, like, the forging of Mjolnir, um, of course, Lokasena, um, you know, and, of course, like, uh, like you know, Ragnarok in itself. Like, you know, he's scattered throughout all the stories, so it's really interesting how much of a picture we have painted of him. Yeah, I would argue that he's he's one of the most important deities to, like, Odin. I mean, you have Odin, which is order, Loki, which is chaos, two sides of the same coin. Uh, without Loki, like, I mean, Ian mentioned, you would have Molnir, such golden hair. Um, we wouldn't have fishing nets going off of the story that Terry just told, you know, or talked about. There's so much that he did to create good out of him trying to outwit others. Without Loki, it wouldn't have been possible. Um, what other uh, experiences have you had with the gods? Or any, have you had any other big experiences with the gods other than the uh, the one with Loki that you were telling us about earlier? Well, I've had, um, over the past couple of weeks, I've had the same dream four or five times. And I, I believe it's Loki again trying to contact me because I'm in the middle of a forest. It's pitch black. And all I can make out is a figure of a bear. 
and it growls at me and I follow it through this clearing and it leads me to this path that's lit by torches. And at the end, a massive boulder about six foot high, six, seven foot high with a kinas uh, carved into it. And at the bottom of it, of almost only about two foot off the ground is just a pair of piercing emerald eyes. So I think <laughs> that's him. <laughs> That's actually, yeah, that's interesting. I know you kind of talked about it a little bit. I saw it being mentioned in like the Discord a, a few times. Um, it is actually interesting to see that because yeah, when you see Kanaz, like that is a commonly associated room with him um, because there's this, this idea of him being, you know, the god of, of fire and flame and stuff like that. And that's a, you know, a, a room that is represented by that. But it's very interesting with like the certain, some of these like signs and connections, you know, that you see are just like, oh, like this is, you know, it seems very clear cut and dry of like who it is. And it's always exciting when it is more clear. Because usually it's not, usually it's not. I mean, even that still is not necessarily a clear like idea of, you know, what is potentially going to happen. But it is, it definitely helps when you have a very definitive like idea that you can go off of. Yeah, it's been fairly repetitive. And I think Next on my list to speak to Scardi and see how I can start again into like lucid dreams and see if there's anything else I can do. Because at the minute it's just sort of like I'm just sat in the back seat watching it happen. So that's next on my list. Now this isn't as pertinent for the uh, the podcast itself, but it's interesting that you mentioned a bear in the dream because those have been coming up a lot um, the last couple of weeks uh, for me and uh, a friend of mine. So explains that tells me why I uh, I had to ask the question. So <laughs> I'll probably talk to you more about that after the podcast, man. Yeah, no problem. All right. So um, we probably should go ahead and start diving into the afterlife because there's probably actually a lot to talk about here in our hour block. Ian's rubbing his hands mysteriously. Um, so Terry, I actually want to start with you. So um, since you're relatively new to the faith and getting into the journey, what are your kind of your perceptions of the afterlife or at least what, you know, you've discovered along your way? Ooh, put me on the spot now. <laughs> yeah, um, it's a deep questions. At the moment, I personally don't believe that there is almost essentially a um, like a big hall where you wait to fight in a big battle. I think it's more of just the metaphorical piece at the end of your life, in my terms. And then that's my view on Valhalla. How I. Th- I hate to say it, but I think it's taken a lot of very Christianization as it isn't so much you've done bad as everyone knows. It's just a case of you haven't died fighting. So it's very much uh, you've lived a sort of docile life. From what I've read so far, I understand there's more I can read into it and all. Yeah, I think the most commonly asked questions I get, um, just you know, watching the the YouTube's uh, comments on the wisdom of Odin, are usually like, "How do you get into Valhalla in the modern days? Um, you know, do you have to die in battle? And of course, like, uh, are there any other afterlife besides hell? Like, do we all just go to hell in the end?" Um, so those are probably the most commonly asked questions. Um, so I'm gonna toss it off to all of you and see uh, what your answers are to that, because obviously I've done a whole video on it, so I already kind of have my uh, my ideas about it. I'll go last because I have a lot. You sure about that, Ian? Well, I figured the Hellboy would have wanted to go first. Well, like I said, I've got I, I've got a lot, so I'll let everybody else kind of do their thing. So, because this is obviously being a hell follower, it's something that I've done a lot of research. I've done a lot of work into and just exploring that aspect of it. So, 
I'll, uh, I'll take the back seat for this one for a little bit. I'll go ahead and give my opinions. Um, I Valhalla never really interested me, so I'll, I'll be honest. Like I haven't really did that much look into Valhalla, but you know, as is known, I'm a Thor bro, like a Thunderkin. So I know he has his own hall, which I'm going to butcher the name of this hall. Uh, but I think it's Bliskenir. Forgive me if that's not correct. It's, it just translates to Thundercrack. And, you know, from what we do know from all the different halls that are mentioned and the others and stuff, it is the biggest hall. So I hope that if I do die, no matter how I die, I go there instead of like Helheim or uh, Valhalla or anything like that because, you know, Thor's my patron and that's where I want to go. Um, as far as Valhalla goes or Valhalla, I mean, whether you have to die in battle or anything like that anymore, I mean, who's to say? Um, if you go solely off the uh, what we have written in the edits, then that's that's the truth of it. Um, in the end, I think it may just be a matter of uh, like what that if that god decides to take you with them into their hall, because there's no there's no written instructions as, as far as like how to get into the other halls. It's just it seems like if you devoted your life enough to the you know to Thor to Freya. Uh, well, Freya, you, we know that that's, she gets the first choice out of the uh, the slain, so we know how to get uh, how you would get to her field. But um, I think every deity has a has a hall, and then there's hell. Um, but the biggest thing that I've uh, I've figured out with it is just there's not really a bad place there. And every time I think of the afterlife, there's nothing like oh I don't want to go there. It's just like I want to make sure that I live out everything that I'm allotted um, as far as fate goes with the Norns. And that I, I do whatever I need to, or that they've um, got carved out for me. Um, I'm not rushing to my death, but I will meet it. I'll meet it head on and uh, with open arms because that's the next chapter. Man, Ian's rubbing his damn hands again. <laughs> okay, my turn. Right. So yeah, uh, you know, I, yeah, I, like I said earlier, I've done a lot of of diving into this. Um, a few books. I will actually just throw that mention the book that I have read primarily that covers a lot of the stuff as far as you know conceptions of the dead in specifically old norris literature it was actually a gift from uh Keoden. um it's called the road to hell um and it, it goes into a wide range of things from you know uh you know funeral customs from you know archaeological evidence and then funeral customs from literature conceptions of you know like what comes after the valkyries um, con concepts, uh, conceptions of the soul, uh, you know, a wide range of different things like that. It's a very good read, a very interesting book. And I think it's something that I think a lot of people should, you know, if they are curious about it, to dive into it a bit. But for my own take, um, you know, yeah, like if everybody thinks, okay, you know, I want to go to Valhalla or Valhalla, however you want to say it. Um, but realistically, like even back, you know, in my, in my dives of it and, you know, talking to other people, they're, Valhalla was honestly, you know, not necessarily a place that a lot of people expected to go because, you know, dying in battle wasn't necessarily like, yes, like there was a lot of fights, there was a lot of raids and people did die and would, you know, presumably would have gone there. But for the most, for the, the common folk, whether you were like a, you know, just a, a farmer or, you know, a blacksmith, et cetera, you know, something that you primarily focus on your craft and you weren't a raider or a mercenary or, you know, what have you, a lot of the more, like I said, the more common folk and common practice um, 
uh, you know, worship was actually involving hell herself because a lot of people understood that they were going to go to Helheim because it's, you know, it's not a bad place. It is for those who die, you know, whether it's, you know, um, sickness, old age, you know, et cetera, things like that, more normal at deaths, you know, like not from the hands of another person or in battle. So it's, it's interesting when, how we've come into this state of mind where it's, you know, Valhalla or nothing, you know what I mean? And, and that's the thing. So if you look into it, Odin has already predetermined who is going to go to Valhalla. If you look at, uh, you know, a various multitude of, of uh, script and whether it's the Eddas and mythology, etc. You know, he's already predetermined who will be slain in battle and who he will take. And then obviously, like uh, Baker said earlier, you know, uh, Freya has the first pick out of that group. Um, and then, you know, with the multitude of halls, you, yeah, you, you know, it's, it's, there's so many different opportunities and options to go to a different place. Uh, you know, for me specifically, I personally have no interest in going to Valhalla either. Um, you know, I, that has a, a, you know, a combination of my workings with hell, I would rather go to her hall in Niflheim, you know, and because of, you know, I have people there that I would, like, I would like to spend my time with, you know, so I would rather live my life to a point where, um, I think it was Baker, you said it, you know, the gods will, you know, I believe that the gods have, like, a say on, you know, if you live your life dedicated to a specific deity, if you have, like, a primary deity, matron, patron, however you want to talk about it, um, but I feel like if you have lived your life so heavily dedicated to a specific deity and, and try to embody what they stand for, that they will ultimately have a claim over you. Almost like the gods kind of sit in like a, like a little conference. Like I have this funny image that kind of crosses my mind whenever discussing this is, you know, the gods kind of sitting at a, at, a, at a long table like, okay, this person died and, you know, they were a follower of, you know, say, hell for example or they were a follower of, of loki or freya or freya you know and they're like okay they dedicated their lives so heavily to embodying that that god or goddess that they're like all right they're coming to my hall because they spent you know their entire life dedicated to me therefore like i have a stronger claim over them to a certain degree so it's it's interesting when you put that concept out there um you know and i've made the joke it's both a joke and a very serious idea in my head that even if I was to die in battle, I would fight that Valkyrie. I would, I would be going, kicking and screaming because I would rather go, you know, to Hell's Hall in Niflheim or just even to Helheim as a whole. You know, I have no real desire to go to Valhalla. So that's enough of my rambling. <laughs> All I was going to say is just personally, I do think that that would still be uh, pertinent for Odin too. I feel like if you if you dedicated enough of your life to him, and even if you didn't die in battle, I still feel like there's a possibility that he may decide to take you into Val Valhalla, even if you're not one of the the Ionar. Exactly, I I agree with that fully. I, I don't think you necessarily have to die in battle to get there if you dedicate yourself. You know, it would it's a lifetime worth of dedication is essentially what I think it comes down to, it to go to a specific hall. Otherwise, for the most part, yeah, you're gonna end up in I would you know in Helheim, which is you know basically where everybody for the mass vast majority of us are most likely going to end up but that's not a bad place you know it's just it's a different uh the way that i've always looked at it and just from some of the readings that i've come across it's it's basically a replica of midgard but 
you know, it, there is no, um, you know, for lack of better terms, it's, it's essentially like a form of a, a, an Eden, so to speak, where it is, you know, there's no bad, there's no war, you know, discomfort, sadness, you know, you are living essentially like a second life, but in a perfect setting, so to speak. Well, I was sure. just going to say that it, going back to what Caleb was saying about Odin, we know he has two halls and I think one's for like the Kings and Jarls and stuff like that. But I mean, here in America, we don't have Kings anymore. So, you know, to me, if specifically for an American, if you're like a big Odin follower, I feel like you would go to that hall because you live better than most of the Kings that served Odin back in that time period and died. So, that's just kind of my thinking on the other hall. Well, I think we also have to remember like where these re records came from, you know, when they were recorded, who actually witnessed them, who spoke of them for the first time. Um, and I do think that the reason we don't know about many of the other halls is simply because, you know, when they were recorded, they, the Christians that recorded it were looking for an example for hell and looking for an example for heaven. And so they got fixated on literally hell uh, and then uh, heaven being Valhalla. And it was very romanticized because Valhalla is a very romantic idea. You know, die in battle with a weapon in your hand and be carried up by hot winged women all the way up to a golden feasting hall where you fight, drink and, you know, fornicate until the end of time. It's like, yeah, who doesn't want to record that? You know, but maybe some of the minor holes aren't as important. I mean, it's like Folk Wagner. Like, you know, it says in the Poetica, Poetic Edda in like one line that Freya gets the uh, you know, other half of the slain dead. And it's like, okay, so we have one stanza that says Folk Wagner is a thing. So like how much of a thing is it? Or was it just chosen not to be recorded? Um, I think when I did my research, there was like in total like seven or eight total afterlifes that are loosely mentioned in the Poetic Edda with a focus on Valhalla and, uh, and hell. And obviously I think hell is probably the most written about just simply because like Odin does travel there, I think twice within the Poetic Edda. Um, Cause like even like the Volispa was like start, like took place there uh, when he went down to see the Seers, I believe. Um, and then of course, when he went down um, like with Balder, I believe when Balder died, he went back down. Um, and so it's like hell is very much talked about. And I remember like one of the lines I talked about when uh, I did my video is the fact that um, it did discuss how the hall, like the halls of hell were decorated for Balder's arrival. And I found that very interesting that it, you know, this is one of the few occurrences that we see it is not a bad place. And it's, it definitely, you know, it seems to be a very, you know, big, you know, debate in the heathen community at what extent hell is like, you know, if you look into like, you know, God of War and how God of War depicted hell, like it's awful. Like, you know, who wants to go to hell? Um, but then, you know, you start actually reading the Poetic Edda and hearing, you know, people's experiences being, you know, followers of hell. It's not actually that bad of a place. And it's really more of like, someone described it, like I got an email once, someone described it as almost like a retirement home, <laughs> like, but like a nice retirement home. Yeah, it's, it's, it's a, yeah, exactly. It, it is like a, a, a second life, essentially, in a place that is, you know, un, you know, it's, it's unpolluted by the, uh, you know, the, the more human, you know, emotions and stuff like that, that would cause places to potentially be bad. Like it is very neutral, you know, everybody lives basically their best life um, in the afterlife. If you know what I mean, it's, it's an interesting idea now that I say that out loud. Um, <laughs> but um, yeah, there, you're right. There is a lot of, there's a relatively decent amount of discussion about, you know, Helheim as a whole, uh, because you have things like, yeah, 
Bulisba, and then you have the death of Balder. And, you know, part of the, the big thing that I've focused a lot of my, my practice towards is changing that, that conception and that, that, uh, the, the conception of how hell herself is treated and, and looked at as well as Helheim is looked at because yeah, you know, a lot of people have, you know, demonized her in a sense, whether, you know, it's because of Christian influence or, you know, you automatically say, oh, like I'm a worshiper of hell. You know, if I was to say that, if I was to go right now to say uh, the church down the road for me and I'll be like, hey, hello, I'm not a Christian. I am, you know, uh, so-and-so and I worship the goddess hell. I guarantee you, you know, people would lose their minds over it because to them, you know, hell is a bad place and et cetera, et cetera. So, you know, it would take quite a lot, you know, to I would say, you know, convince them otherwise. So there is that, that negative persona that has definitely dropped. So I think a lot of people do just instinctively not, you know, saying it's a bad thing necessarily, but instinctively think, you know, hell, oh, you know, we are so accustomed to like the Christian version of hell that people have an automatic negative effect. And so it's very difficult for, you know, a lot of people, especially new coming in or people on the, from the outside to understand that they're really isn't a bad place for us to go. Like there is, but it's very specific, um, you know, for oath breakers and people that have just lived like super, super dishonorable lives. Um, but for the most part, like, unless you're not, you know, an asshole, you're gonna be okay for the most part. Well, you and Jacob both hit the nail on the head when y'all wrote the Christian uh, aspect of it, because that's what it is. Uh, the, the term hell, Christians got it from Norse and like the pagan beliefs because they needed that. They, they were trying to convert, so they used it as a convert, uh, a converting method to convince people to follow their Christ after like the Viking age and stuff like that. They would just associate hell and hellheim and all that with, with their version of hell, which is completely wrong from the actual Torah and the, and the Jewish scrolls. Uh, because they call it Shoal in Hebrew, which is just the dark place. And Helheim, when you read about it, isn't dark at all. Like, mm -hmm. It's not. It, so the, these these terms that the Christians did, then they did it too with the Greeks, with Hades. You know, if you read a, a Bible from the Greek, instead of hell, it says Hades. They want that negative connotation there to help scare you and help convert you uh, from into Christianity and just look at your heritage and your ancestry and the way they thought of as primitive and bad. So that's one of the big things I'm trying, I try to do in my practice is not to Christianize paganism. And, and it happens because most of us come from Christianity nine times out of 10. And the grandma on the dwarf podcast, I, we talked about this This is what they had me on there for. So check them out if you're listening to this one. But I, I go into a deeper dive of like the ideology of Christianity versus paganism. And that's really what you have to focus on because Christianity has tainted our, our view of hell and hellheim or the afterlife. And that's why it's Valhalla or nothing because we see it as that, like that heaven-esque thing. And we have to remember to break away from it just like how we see – Loki a lot of times is evil when he's not. He he's not good. He's not bad. He's Loki. Odin can be considered evil for some of the trickery he does, but we don't see Odin as evil. He's Odin. 
you know, the, these concepts are Christian concepts that we have to learn to get away from. Terry, how are you feeling down there? <laughs> yeah, do, sorry, your, just, do, you, do you feel your mind expanding? <laughs> oh, expanding is gone. As Ian says, just poof. It, it's, it's great to hear, I don't want to say everyone's opinions, but everyone's views on it. It's very eye-opening to hear how... I don't know what the proper term is, how similarly we all think about it, but yet how different our views are. Yeah, I think, <laughs> yeah, I think one of the things I, uh, I've been working on for a while is like a concept is that there's no true concept of good and evil in um, like Norse, in most Norse mythology, you know, and, you know, pre-Christian Scandinavian Germanic society. The biggest thing was honor. Like honor was really the only thing people and gods and, you know, everything was judged on. Um, and so I think that's reflects in the afterlifes as well. Like as long as you live an honorable life, you know, that's all you really need to do. Um, Cause really like, you know, and again, it's a, such a loose mentioning, like only oath breakers and like the dishonor, like, and really it's just like the dishonorable, like the, the oath breakers is all it mentions, like get eaten by like Nidhogg or whatever. Um, and again, it's just such a loose mentioning and it's like, where did that come from? Cause that sounds awfully Christian as well. So it's hard to say, but I mean, obviously I don't think if you made a promise when you were 13 and you broke it, I don't think you're going to the bad place. Um, <laughs> and I think that's something a lot of people fear. Um, and I definitely see that with people that message me and they say, Hey, I made an oath. I can't keep it. What do I do? I'm like, well, how serious was it? And they're like, well, I was 12 and I promised like never like cuss. And I'm like, well, I think you're fine. <laughs> um, yeah, oh, yeah, go ahead. To jump on what Ian said at the start of this conversation about not particularly being a, uh, sorry, Caleb, not Ian. Very uh, nervous times um, about not really being afraid of going to hell. I've spoken to Christians about it and a couple of my friends at work had devote Christians and they're like, oh, aren't you afraid that you're going to go to your version of hell? And I was like, well, no, because from what I've read and from what we've been told down through history, it's not this place of burning brimstone where you get tortured for all eternity. And they've actually been oddly quite accepting and like oh okay so that's what you people <laughs> believe is how in a way yeah it, it's yeah it isn't a place of you know fire and brimstone i've come across readings um you know so the road to hell is you know a a it's almost like a it's an interesting concept that i've come across where you know say you go to to helheim um you walk you know, the road to hell to get to the gate of hell. And essentially while you're walking down this road, there's nothing but um, fields of like golden wheat and, you know, like across all sides of you and the, um, you know, the spirits of your ancestors, you know, kind of watch you as you walk down this path. Um, and, you know, and there's, there's a, you know, a concept of it where, you know, the ultimate goal is to get to the gate of hell, to enter, you know, essentially like an even better version of it. it I've only come across it a, a once and I'm trying to remember it's been a while, but essentially the, the main goal is to enter and pass through the gate to hell. And, um, you know, that's like an even better place in within Helheim itself, but not to, like in the, your ancestors could potentially, you know, distract you and, and, pull you off of the road but that's even then that's not a bad you know it's not a bad thing you just end up going a different way you stray from the path and you're in a you know still a good place and you're with your ancestors but it's it's very interesting yeah there you know it's not fire and brimstone and et cetera et cetera 
you know, if anything, it's completely opposite. It's a very cold place for the most part. If you go to end up going to Hell's Hall in Nippelheim, like it's on a on a frozen mountaintop, you know, which I mean, whatever. I like the snow and cold, so I'm all about that. <laughs> but yeah, it, there isn't. It's even the descriptions. It's it's not a place to be to fear, and that goes along with any of the halls. Is you know, from what I have read on quite a few of them. I mean, a lot of people want to go to Freya's Hall for <clears throat> reasons, but you know, it's uh, yeah, I, I just don't see really anything bad. But you know, like what Caleb or what uh, Jacob was saying with Oathbreakers and things like that, like, yeah, you are allegedly fed to uh, you know, the Need Hog, and that's you know, for eternity kind of a thing. So that's like, I guess, the closest thing to like a, a Christian hell that we would have or a bad place, but it's you know, essentially, from what I have read, is once you're eaten like that's it not only like he eats your soul and then you are basically erased from existence so there isn't like a chance of you potentially like coming back it basically like you live this life you messed up and you don't get like another chance so then it's like poof you're gone it's kind of the way that i've looked at it and from some of the readings of it is him eating your soul and devouring what is left of your existence so yeah the uh, the quote i tend to use to well, not quote, it's just for people to look up his, um, I know it's Neil Gaiman's book, but I assume that's based off facts and writings and all, is that um, I believe it's when they burn Boulder's body. And is it Nan Nana jumps on the pyre? Is it Boulder's wife? I can't quite remember her name. And Thor kicks the dwarf in and everything. And um, it says they just wake up on a long road and there's no, there's like burning and it's not desolate and all that. It's put direction I tend to point people when they go oh what, what what's your how like then yeah I think it's a like I feel like it's Goonload or something like that that wakes up on the road to hell and then she like runs into a giant woman and they're just kind of like like I feel like they have like a casual conversation like that she's just on the road to hell so it's definitely it's very interesting that like this concept of waking up on the road and then even like looking into like the song like Helvigan um you know the you know basically the ancestors singing you across the bridge as you cross into the realm it's interesting that this transition i've also seen like and this is i think coming mostly from the research done in like the goatland burials is the fact that um you know the they would use the boats as a way to like cross the river into hell and stuff like that too so that's another motif we see and i think this is because um it has changed many times i mean even in goatland we see there's a a difference between um burials and cremations uh quite often uh, that it seems like it's kind of gone, come and gone in different trends. Yeah, that's that, like the the difference between like burials and cremations has like some to a degree some effect on um, at least from what I've read in 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 the uh, in the book that I mentioned earlier. Um, it does kind of talk about you know the difference between cremation and how you would you know where how you would get to a place compared to if you were buried. Um, you know when you are when you're buried, I'm, I'm loosely quoting it because it has been a while since I've covered that part. Um, but essentially being buried is more of a way of, it's a slower, I'm trying to think. I'll touch on that later. I mean, let me try to find it, cut that out, Jacob. I'm trying to figure this out real quick so I don't misquote anything. Oh man, I'll let me dig into my knowledge real quick. All right, what else we haven't talked about here? Um, so like also, I was, I, oh, go ahead. I was just gonna, bring up um which is a story with the warrior that comes back from Valhalla to visit his wife and that one too 
Oh yeah, like he he um I forget I forget the names. Um but yeah, he like talks about like riding down from Valhalla to visit his uh his wife at the burial mound. And then like talks about how he has to be back and like before they notice he's gone and that he has to be west of Bifrost by sunrise or something like that. And it's like right. again really interesting that it's like very specific on the directions and the description right. of leaving Valhalla. Cuz I I remember in your video you talked about that and I remember reading the story a little bit but like so I mean obviously if our ancestors can come back to us, if you really are curious, you can try to reach out to them. The ones that you know that are recently deceased, whether they're Christian or not, they're there to help you. They can help give you information that to what knowledge and extent that we don't have that's written down. Uh, we don't know. But like, I mean, just, just to kind of go back on what knowledge I have, they wanted to damage hell and like the, the thought of a pagan afterlife so much in Christianity that it's one of the most talked about topics in the Bible. They talk about more about hell than they do heaven. And it's mentioned over 162 times in the Bible. That's just to, to go to show you the, the depths they want to go to, to uh, tell you that, uh, that hell is a bad place, you know, or like the evil place. And that's not true. Like, like Caleb has said, like, and a lot of us feel, and I believe most pagan feel, like, once death comes at you, you're going to greet them like a friend. You're going to face your death head on without any regret. Whereas a lot of Christians that I know are terrified of death. They're scared to die because they don't know. Literally just had that conversation on the ride home from uh, Pigeon Forge on Life on the way, uh, way back. Um, uh, and that is, that's what kind of led her to uh, what I was telling you earlier as far as like wanting to explore her the, her native spirituality with the um, Native American stuff, uh, which I'm really excited to try to help her out with because I know little to nothing about it and I'm excited to learn. Um, but just sitting there and explaining, like, there's not a bad place. Um, and I think it'd help a lot of Christians, honestly, hearing this is like, there's not a bad place. It's just what they, what was, it was turned into and bastardized basically um, to make people convert, you know, fear tactics. And that's the whole purpose of the church for hundreds of years and i think a big thing i pointed i pointed out to her was like we everybody's ancestors were pagan for so much longer than they were ever christian like i think the the last official people in europe converted in what 1100 or something like that i think you, you can correct me if i'm wrong jacob wait what was it when, oh when the last people in europe uh officially converted i think sweden 1064 like something like that yeah yeah, but for less less than a thousand years, Europe has been fully Christian, quote unquote. Well, and not even you know, it's like something that's important to remember. Like people like Iceland that were converted, they were forcibly converted because Norway was essentially going to stop shipping them supplies unless they converted. Um, so that's when they had their meeting and basically said, you know, hey, we're going to have to convert, and they formally converted to Christianity. But the majority of the populace still continued to practice their tra pagan traditions. And in Iceland, in particular, like Sweden was uh, Sweden, Norway, and uh, Denmark were a lot more controlled because they were closer to closer to Christendom. But Iceland was so isolated that they were kind of allowed to keep doing their own thing because i mean no one was able to travel out there and stop them from practicing their pagan ways so oh go ahead Derek. i was just gonna say um i don't know if i had to step up for a second um i don't know if you just spoke about it but i think i saw recently on the news that norway is it norway or greenland or iceland or a scandinavian country is recently um finally recognized norse um, paganism as a faith again one of the Scandinavian countries. I can't quite remember where. 
I believe it is Norway because I remember coming across something like that where they're they're kind of going back to you know the old ways quite a bit. Yeah, they're um, accepting it a bit more now. Mm-hmm. Um, so I did I did kind of come across what I was mentioning earlier as far as like the difference where you know cremation and burial. It's actually um, it was a different. It's called an age basically. So a lot of the the really older burial practices it was known as what is referred to as the age of burning where all the dead were burned uh, and memorial stones were set up for them and then it says after Freyr had been laid in a how at Uppsala um, many chiefs raised house as often as memorial stones in memory so basically that's kind of where you get the more of a build these massive stone um, rooms essentially um you know where that that king or lord or whoever was then put into with you know all of their worldly belongings and riches and basically sealed off um you know so it's, it's not so much of where you go it was just a different shift in an idea of how you would then be uh you know sent off but there i mean a lot of people still continue to you know, burn the dead because it was such an old way of practicing and it was, you know, something that they had done for so long. So it's, I guess what I said earlier, where depending on how you're buried, depends on where you go, is not entirely, is not accurate. Um, I guess I was just thinking of, I must have been thinking of something else. I'm not sure, but that is roughly where like there's a, an interesting shift because it's a Danish king that ends up really starting to push the idea of these hows or these, um, you know, these stone structures that are essentially tombs, basically. Um, yeah, that's, that's, that's where I was looking at, and that's where I was kind of coming from with that difference, but. Does it look, uh, is it just solely like on the Norse stuff, or does it like go into like the old uh, Germanic practices as well? Um, so this, this is uh, mainly Old Norse, so the title of the book is, like the full title is The Road to Hell, a study of the conception of the dead in Old Norse literature. And then it does tie into Old Norse like uh, archeological evidence too, because that's literally how the book starts is burial and funeral rites and, and practices through archeological finds where you have like, you know, the stone ships, you know, that are set up in, in uh, various parts of the, of the world. You have actual, um, you know, entire like long ships that were buried and burned, et cetera, et cetera. And these houses that are found and, and whatnot. So, it, it, it's primarily Old Norse. I have, I didn't notice anything as far as Old Germanic, but it is, yeah, Old Norse specifically in this one. Well, like when it comes to like burning uh, people's bodies, it's, it's a fairly common practice for all cultures. I know the Greeks burn their heroes and stuff, and but whereas <clears throat> there's different, I think they would put the two coins over the eyes for the ferrymen wherever they burnt, you know, so that way they could go across into Hades. But it's so many similarities within paganism and death, but there's really like no, there's one bad place and you have to screw up awful lot to get to all of them, whether it be Tartarus, uh, Niflheim, and I cannot remember the the Egyptian one for the life of me. Um, but, you know, so when it comes to the afterlife, uh, I, I do tend to think that wh whoever you follow, if you've dedicated your life full to them, whether it be Tyr or Thor 
you're most likely going to end up wherever they are if they want you there. Because like I, I have a personal challenge in the afterlife to try to out drink Thor in a drinking contest. I want to do that one day. I want to try. And I know that everybody's like, oh, but he drank the ocean. Well, I'm going to drink more than the ocean. Like I'm going to do it one day. But like that's just where my mindset is. So one of the things I've constantly thought about is like the concept of when we feel the gods, because, you know, obviously we follow this path because we actually feel something. Um, so for me, when I, like, I feel Odin, um, you know, it's such a, an overwhelming presence that, what you know, there's almost a comfort in it knowing that when I die, I have connected to that presence so well, that is where I believe the, the person that is me goes, you know, is it necessarily a golden hauled place? Probably not. Um, just because like the only people that know what death is like are the people that have died. Um, and maybe, you know, people through, you know, shamanic practice and like, you know, like all this other stuff that we don't really know about have written these stories down about what the halls of the gods look like. Uh, but, you know, quite frankly, we just don't know if that's true or not. Um, but again, I think the real world experience of feeling these gods, it leads us to believe that whatever presence you are aligning to is where your soul goes, so to speak. Um, and even things such as like, um, you know, like the multiple hall thing, you know, I believe in death, you know, you're, whatever you are like aligning to yourself, like if you're more of an Odin person, you'll most likely go to be like doing Odin type things. Or if you're more of a Freya person, you go to do more Freya type things. And again, this is all, you know, what is it, UPG or whatever, where it's just like unverified personal, you know, stuff or no sees, whatever it is. And so it's like, yeah, like I can't confirm or deny that from a source, but that's what I have experienced with the faith and what I feel is going to happen. Yeah, I, that, that, that's a pretty similar idea of kind of where I, I fall in line with the ideas. You know, like you were saying, we, we make these connections with these deities. And I feel like, especially if you have a very close connection, it's, you know, it's ultimately like potentially where you're going to go, you know. Um, because, yeah, it goes back to what I was saying. Like, I feel like, you know, once you live a life of, of a certain dedication to a particular deity like that is obviously a lifelong working you know i don't see myself ever not working with hell i've you know i've formed a very strong bond and connection with her you know so i've more than more than likely will be going to her hall or even just to hellheim i don't either one i don't care i'll be happy with that um but yeah, it's, it's, you know, like what you're saying, you've had this connection with Odin. Sure, it, it, is it a golden hall of, you know, all this, you know, like what the stories tell, like, who knows? We don't know, you know, the, only the dead know, but it's, it's, I think the, the, a lot of the, the glorious tales and, and tellings and, and stories are kind of a way as well to allow people to not necessarily be so afraid of, of what comes after. No, it was, it's a way of accepting that, yes, I will die one day, but I have no reason to fear it because it happens to everybody. Even the gods die. You know what I mean? Like they're the only ones that know what comes after. I also find it interesting that like in the Ragnarok story, like Baldur comes back from hell. Like that is a very interesting thing. And that's something that we haven't talked about yet is like the vague mentionings of a reincarnation theory in a way, like how like the cyclical nature of Ragnarok, you know, kind of, you know, means that like even like the gods themselves come back after their cycle is ended. And it makes me wonder, like, do we ourselves come back after the cycle is ended, you know, and what, and then we, then it dives into what is Ragnarok? Is Ragnarok what it says in the Poetic Edda? Or is it more, you know, theoretical, you know, like the, the theoretical comings and going 
things of the rises and falls of civilization, which, you know, to me, that's probably where I more lean to, you know, I look at things like the fall of Rome, like the fall of great empires as these Ragnaroks, because, you know, we constantly see the rise and fall of greatness. I would have to agree with that because, you know, coming from the Christian background stuff and, and reading stories version of the Edda and Ragnarok is so similar to Revelations, it's hard for me to believe that, you know, it, it's a thing. I mean, I, I can point out so many different similarities and stuff to Revelations and Ragnarok that it's, it's uncanny. So, I fall upon the idea that it's just a cycle, you know, whereas Ragnarok happens when paganism is at its all-time lowest, and then that's when the birth of Christianity came from, and now the Christians are going through their revelations where there's the churches are empty, people are starting to go back to the old ways, and they're seeing the decline of their faith, so their revelation is here, so the cycle of rebirth for paganism is back. So that that's where I fall upon Ragnarok and and the death of gods and everything like that. So yeah, and and in this book it does you know there is an entire chapter titled the conception of the future life, and it does kind of talk go into um, you know this idea and conception that you know there is a essentially a life after death, and yeah, like what you're saying with Balder, like yeah, Balder comes back in Ragnarok and. And even kind of like what, um, you know, we were mentioning, like, I think it was sure you said it before, where you have this warrior who died in battle and, and you know, went back to visit his, his wife and then, and et cetera. So I feel like to a degree, there is a, in a way, a sense of, um, of reincarnation to a certain degree. It's, it's not so much, I would say reincarnation. I feel like it is just, you've lived one life now you are living you are continuing to live in a different like form of existence so it's almost like tinfoil hat theory coming in um where you don't necessarily die like you you've oh we lost kayla baker i'll keep going into it um yeah where you don't you don't necessarily die in the sense, like, yes, you die physically, but, you know, it goes into that idea of your soul. Your soul continues to live on. So in this, in a, in a sense, you do not truly die and you are where the idea of like reincarnation comes from. It's more, your soul is passing on to a different type of life. It's, you know, that next step, um, you know, in your life as a whole, as a, as a soul, basically, where, you know, a lot of people, you know, say soul is, you know, you have that idea of old souls and, and et cetera, where, you know, you kind of get into that, that past life experience type thing. And I feel like, you know, the deeper you kind of dive into it or, or think about it, it's not so much that we, yes, we physically die, but your soul carries on and continues to live. You're just living in a different existence. I don't know. Kind of spun, like I said, tinfoil hat theory. See, I got a, I'm with you there on that one, Ian, because even though I wasn't a Christian before this, I wasn't very much for religion. I just sort of thought I'd do my life, get through it and get done. But I've always felt appalled to this. I've always had the thought of you, you never just stop. Something has to happen. You have to carry on somewhere. And whether that is 
you go up to a hall and you wait for Odin or you go to Freya's hall or Thor's hall or whether it is your soul gets passed on to a new vessel. I've always been one for that has to be a constant cycle of life. You can't just stop somewhere. Oh, <clears throat> definitely, because, you know, the way I look at human life is the way I look at seasons. You know, you have your spring, summer, fall, and winter. And we each, as humans, go through this. You know, when you're born, you're in your spring till you become an adult or you're in your summer. Then as you grow older, you go into fall and then winter, which is your death. Uh, but it's going to continually go on forever. You know, um, I, I believe it was in The Last Kingdom when they were talking about it, you know, and this is like, Utra's all about destiny is all, you know, all this, that, and the other. But they talk about how they're not worried because I remember talking with Alfred and like the way they had that dialogue was like, aren't you worried about your death? He said, no, it'll come to me when it comes. And that's how, like I said before, a lot of the pagans I know look at death and it goes back to the ideology between paganism and Christianity. Christians prepare for the afterlife to try to be with their God. So they give up this life. Whereas pagans, we look at this world and we were, we know we're in this world. So we try to take care of this world, live our life to the most honorably as we can. And then when the next world comes, we'll face it. I mean, I think a good example of that is just the, uh, you know, like some of the things like natural resources and minerals and things like that. Like I would argue that those kind of things give the magic to the spirits of our land. You know, I think you can feel the difference between a mountain that has been fracked and like removed of all of its natural minerals and a mountain that has not. I do believe that those things have to do with the spirituality of the land we live on. And I believe if, you know, the world was more aware of the spirituality of the land, we wouldn't probably destroy its natural resources all the time. And I think that's kind of goes in with the afterlife thing too. Like we respect, like you were saying, like we respect the life we live now. Like we, you know, far as we know, this is all we get. And so, and, you know, even says in like the have them all, like you, you know, a dead man doesn't get to enjoy Midgard, you know, enjoy it while you're here. There are things to enjoy. And I think that's one of the reasons Midgard was made is because it is literally the middle realm. It's a realm of both fire and ice of happiness and sadness, um, you know, good and evil, you know, or, you know, whatever you want to say. And so looking, you know, at the other realms, they tend to be one aspect. And so Midgard was created to be all the realms. And I feel like once we're not here, we're going to miss it definitely i mean i believe one of the podcasts we were talking about you said that there are aspects of all the realms here in midgard you know with uh moosefulheim you have the closest to the equator how hot they get you know it's like always summer on islands and stuff niflheim the further north you go the colder it gets so you know there's aspects of just all the different nine worlds here on midgard yeah, that's actually, that's an interesting, I've never really thought of it that way, but yeah, it, that is a good point, you know, where it is, you know, where we are now in Midgard is like a, a combination of all aspects of all of the, all the worlds and all the realms. Um, and yeah, I, 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 you know, it gets me kind of thinking of, you know, the, it, when I pass on, yeah, if, you know, whether I go to, to wherever I go, say I go to Hell's Hall in Niflheim, where I would you might want to restart like that to because you started breaking up really bad. Oh, did I? How <clears throat> far back? Uh, just restart that that process. Um, 
Yeah, it's, it's, it's an interesting idea to think about when, you know, you take that idea of Midgard being a combination of all the realms, you know, and so we get, you know, to experience everything in this life, whether it's, you know, happiness, sadness, anger, um, you know, joy, et cetera, et cetera. And we get to, you know, enjoy all the things that this life has to offer um, that we will eventually miss it. You know, I, I, uh, given my, given my position and my worship with hell and everything like that, I hope that when I pass on, I do go to Nibelheim or Helheim. I'm, I'd be happy with either one, but yeah, there's definitely going to be things that I would leave behind in this world on Midgard that I definitely would miss, you know? It's it's something that um, I've never actually really thought of, but yeah, there's going to be things that I will definitely miss because it's not going to necessarily be, you know, it's not going to necessarily be the same in whichever hall or realm you end up going to when you pass on. I just hope wherever I go has that sweet smell, like when the first spring rains comes in. Like I love that smell. Like living in East Texas, like it's already almost uh, spring here. So just like the, whenever the world comes to life around you and like the pollen, you smell all the freshness and stuff like that's just one of the best times of the year for me. Oh, look, Baker's trying to get back in here. Ran off to the bathroom to poop again. There we go. There's that beautiful face. Yeah. Sorry about that. Right in time for us to start closing out, man. What the heck? Yeah. Sorry. My phone was having a fit. (laughs) It looks like your laptop's working again. That's good. Yeah. I got it hooked up finally. Um, so yeah, actually that's a good, uh, place to, we're about at the hour mark. So if we want to have any closing remarks, any final words of wisdom, anyone has for the afterlife, let's do it. Uh, I would definitely suggest, you know, doing a little bit more reading on it, um, for everybody, because a lot of people don't know. And yeah, that's, it's, you know, all potential, you know, this, it could be this, it could be that, but I would definitely recommend the road to hell as a, as a good read, um, it, it does kind of go, it, it balances out the spiritual aspect of it and then what we have, you know, archaeological evidence of. So it has that like a good balance of, you know, this is the idea of where you would go and how you would go on and et cetera. And then it has like the archaeological as far as how burials were done, the, the customs, um, you know, things like that, et cetera. I would definitely recommend that book. It is, it is very interesting. It is very eye-opening. Not sure what I missed in the last 10 minutes, uh, but this broad reminder, just know that that afterlife is not a bad place. It's just, it's a new beginning in the next chapter in our existence. And whether we're able to come back in a form of uh, reincarnation or if we just spend out the rest of time either in hell with our ancestors or in one of the halls of the gods, then so be it. But just know that just don't be, don't fear your death. Just accept it and don't rush towards it. It'll come when it's, whenever it's time. I think for me, I think the, the best thing that I can say to people is just don't get so, you know, understand where, you know, this glory or Valhalla thing comes from. You know, this mostly comes from the Vikings TV show. The Viking sensationalization has built this up so much. I mean, if you look at like when Ostrich reformed, you know, reformed in, you know, places like Iceland and you look at people like that and they are not concerning themselves with glory or Valhalla, it's Iceland. I mean, does Iceland even have a military? Like, I'm pretty sure they just use our military, right? Like, I'm pretty sure like they don't have like a warrior band of people and that's not something they've tried to do, you know, 
we have to remember that the Viking age was only a small part. And if anything, it's the end of Norse paganism and like, uh, you know, whatever you want to call it, you know, the pre-Christian Scandinavian religion, you know, that it existed for thousands of years before then. And obviously they had warriors, but at the same time, the most of the people lived their lives were farmers, tradesmen, and craftsmen, and they died in their beds at an old age or, you know, in that time, the old age of like 35. And so most people are going to, you know, whether you want to call it hell or, you know, whatever afterlife it is. And I doubt that most people go to a bad place. And I think that's one of the biggest misconceptions of uh, Nordic paganism. Just to reference you, Iceland has no standing military, but they do have a coast guard. Good to know. <laughs> We've got a pretty good sized military base up there though. Uh, the biggest advice that I could give you on the afterlife is do some research but mostly enjoy the life you have here on Midgard. Seek the gods. Go out in nature. Explore time. Spend time with your family, your friends. Because who knows in the afterlife what's going to foretold. You may not get to see them. So enjoy the time you have with them now. Terry, what you got? I was just going to say um, a quote that you put on a stone a couple years ago. It was one of your videos. was, um, what is given must be returned. And you drummed it into a little stone, and I don't know why, but ever since I watched that video, that quote stuck with me. And it's it's just the sort of, we're not here forever sort of thing. We do, we're born, we live, and we die. So it, it's, no one's immortal. It's, we've all got our time, the clock's going to tick one day. And that's really it. And Terry... Let us know where everyone can find you. Do you do you have an Instagram? Do you want people to find you there? Like, what do you got here? Uh, well, as I'm only still at the ripe old age of 21, I haven't branched out into uh, many forms of media. Um, Don't do I it. Do, <laughs> <laughs> um, I do have an Instagram at the minute, and let me find the name quick. It is Loki Period Sun 99. All right. Well, excellent. Um, is there, uh, yeah, no, I mean, Terry, thank you for being on the show. I know this was kind of last minute. We literally, you know, had like a last minute move and we like put on the discord, like, Hey, who wants to talk about the afterlife? And we kind of like, we're just like, you want to do it, bro. And you're like, right, okay. <laughs> so thank you for being a, a good sport with us. Thank you for joining us. It was good to, you know, talk face to face, hear that beautiful British accent. Um, the British are here. They've taken back over. We're redcoats now guys. Don't hate us for when we were making fun of the British accents a few episodes ago. <laughs> <laughs> when Jacob went, Terry's going to message me. My partner looked at me and pointed, and I was just content then with life. <laughs> <laughs> well, very good. Then then we're just going to continue this episode in the rest of the British accents. <laughs> Top and tea and crumpets. Uh, tea and crumpets, yeah. Um, all right. Well, gentlemen, let's go ahead and close out this episode. Thank you all so much for joining us. Terry, thank you so much for, uh, you know, once again, joining us here. I hope everyone's enjoyed this conversation and, and expanded their minds a little bit into concepts of the afterlife. Um, if you are interested in being on the Folk Podcast, we are, of course, taking submissions for people to be on the show, um, but also recommendations for what we should talk about. So if you have interest in being on the show or topics, please email us at thefolkpodcast at gmail.com. And otherwise, folks, until the hall, skull. 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 Skull.